This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Mackenzie McDonald topples the defending champion here in Melbourne. A brand new year of tennis awaits us and we begin, as always, with the Australian Open, which has already seen withdrawals and shock losses within its first few days of action. Hi, I'm ST Sports correspondent Sazali Abdul-Aziz and with me on this episode of ST Sports Talk is ST Assistant Sports Editor Rohit Brishnath, who will be ST's man on the ground at Melbourne Park. He talks about Rafa Nadal's exit, Novak Djokovic's return, the rise of Iga Swiatek and a crop of new women stars, and what makes the Australian Open special. So hi Rohit and uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, hi Saz, nice to be here. So we are recording here on a Wednesday a day before you leave for Melbourne and you've just moments ago uh, watched Rafa Nadal exit the tournament uh, in the second round. How heartbreaking was that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would have uh, loved to have watched him play as I watched him play so many times and, you know, it's just a thrill and... um I mean, I feel bad for him because, I mean, he hasn't been playing the best tennis since the end of last year. And it's not losing, which is a big deal. But the fact that he's been injured again, he's obviously done something. I'm not sure whether to his foot or his hip. And, you know, it's just like, you know, his body parts are just conspiring against him because he just works so hard for every single point. Forget about every single match. And it just obviously takes a little bit of energy out of the tournament. That's always happens when such a great player, you know, leaves. But, you know, this you have to give Mackenzie McDonald uh, some credit. He played really, really well. And just the way it is in tennis, it's a hard, hard sport. Nadal is, of course, probably the tennis's and, and maybe even sports' greatest toiler, you know, a warrior, a sufferer almost. But is it becoming more and more difficult to watch him play, you know, especially since, you know, he, he is um, a fan favourite and yet to see him sort of struggle through points and sets now as his career sort of uh, close to an end, is it getting harder and harder to watch him play? Yeah, I mean, it is a conflict I have in my head. Sometimes I think, hey, buddy, you've given us so much pleasure, you know, just take it easy, you know. Go back, relax, you know, enjoy your kid, you know. You don't need to run for anything anymore, you know. Your legend is intact. But, you know, he wants to play. So, I mean, who are we to say? I think he just, I don't think that he plays for records. I really don't think so. I mean, he has already 22 slams. I think he just still enjoys the competition. And I think... If a man enjoys the competition, then he should keep playing. And, you know, he, he knows his body better than anybody. He knows his... He has obviously a great capacity for suffering and pain. Mm. You know, some people just have that, you know. It, it's just amazing what he can withstand and how he can find the patience to build his body and his mind and come back and again, again and again, you know. Yeah. But you're right. It can be tough. It's horrible, you know. I was exchanging messages with people from all over the world just now, you know. And everybody was just sad. Not just because he was losing, but because he was hurting. Yeah, the, the way he lost, yeah. he was hurting, right? I think, so, you know, people hurt when he hurts. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. But, you know, now he is out um, of the competition. What are you looking forward to most at the Australian Open? So, to see, basically, if anybody can test Djokovic. I mean, Novak Djokovic is the best player in the world. There's no question about that. He just plays at a different level. He played his first round uh, yesterday with his thigh strap because he's got hamstring issues which can become a problem but I mean he just played beautifully I mean he he, he just is 
his level is just different. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have some young players. Unfortunately, Al- Carlos uh, Alcaraz isn't here. But you know, Yannick Sinner is a very good player. Felix Auger, Ali Asim was down two sets to love uh, today, one in five sets, which is good. He's a good player. Can't afford that type of slip against you know uh, you know higher ranked players, but you can do it in the first couple of rounds. There's Daniel Medvedev, of course, who I think is is a phenomenal player. You know, it depends if he's in the mood and he's playing well. There's Taylor Fritz. There's Sissipas, of course. So there, there's a lot of talent out there. And I think it's basically Novak against the field. That's basically what it is. And that, that makes it fun because, you know, you want to see who's pushing whom. And if these young guys have a lot of ambition. You have to see whether they can find that level. So on the court, Novak is, is clearly head and shoulders above on his day, of course. But what do you think the reception will be for him as he progresses uh, through the tournament as many expect? You know, because his, his reputation has taken a bit of a hit during the last couple of years with, you know, off the court issues. You know, you've been to a number of Australian Opens already. Uh, so what, what, what do you think the Aussie crowd has for him? I think the reception has been pretty good for him uh, since all the drama of last year over the vaccination and him not playing at the Australian Open. I think crowds can be forgiving. I think they realized that was last year. It's done. He, this guy's won nine Australian Opens. So, you know, they recognize talent. It's sort of, I think people have made peace with each other. Mm. I think he's never going to be, and this is nothing to do with the vaccination or anything to do. He's never going to be Federer or Nadal in the love that people have. For, you know, I mean, like Federer, the Australian crowd's just crazy about Federer and love Nadal. And... I think there's a great appreciation for Djokovic. You cannot, I mean, you have to appreciate him. I mean, he is a stunning player. Mm -hmm. He could be the best player among all three of them. I mean, you know, uh, which uh, did not go down well with Nadal and Federer fans. I think both of those two have very particular styles. You know, uh, one is a warrior, one's an artist. And Djokovic is different, you know, he's more a technician, but he's such a brilliant athlete. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I find him very interesting to watch. So in the women's tournament, can you talk a bit about uh, Iga Swiatek? Uh, she's 21, already a three-time slam winner. Uh, she's got a couple of youngest of records under her belt already. Do you think she could be the next great women's player? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that, you know, uh, there have been a few women's players who have started playing really well. And then I think sustaining it for a long time is a very difficult thing to do. And so we have to see. But uh, you're right on the evidence right now. She is also, you know, in a bit like Djokovic. I'm not comparing her to Djokovic, but I'm saying she's playing at another level. That's what you're always seeing is where's everybody's level? You know, I think she, her points, I think she has about 11,000 points as number one. And I think the next number two, Jessica Pegula has got 5,000 points, you know, double the amount of points as the number two. That is massive. So basically, it becomes in a situation like this, her tournament to lose, so to speak. Yeah. Are there talented players out there? Of course. You know, there's, you know, Ons Jabor is there. There's Arena Sabalenka. There's Caroline uh, Garcia, who's playing very well. And of course, you know, some of the younger players like Coco Goff, who's playing today. So, I mean, there is a test. So you, you have to play, you know, I keep using this word levels because that is that is a key. I think the great players are able to find their level and are able to raise their level as a Grand Slam goes on, right? As mm-hmm. I say, you can't, you can't win a Grand Slam in the first couple of rounds, but you can lose it. And, you know, the harder the opposition becomes, they know how to pace themselves. They've been there so many times and they know how to raise their level. And I think she pretty much knows that as well. I mean, I think she's a very smart player. Yeah, whether she does 
go and have that career that you know she seems to be on the trajectory on uh, remains to be seen but I think again you know it's such a big question mark that you look back and you tend to realize wow we took Serena's longevity for granted you know Serena Roger and Nadal you know and these kinds of players who dominate for so long and we sort of take their brilliance for granted and then you know when up and comers come and, and they win a couple of slams and then they sort of fade off or, or have a dip in form then we realize wow this is this is harder than a lot of people think you know to, to stay at the top right absolutely I mean you said it perfectly I think Osaka won uh, for Naomi Osaka won four Grand Slam titles you know and I think uh, she had some issues with depression which were very difficult now of course uh, she's going to have a baby which is terrific but it, it's difficult to keep winning and winning and winning and winning and you're right I mean I think you know uh, you look at people like Serena Williams and Federer and uh, Nadal and Djokovic I mean are we going to see players like this uh, Again, so quickly, I don't know. It's so difficult. I mean, I was looking at the Australian Open records today and of the past, I think, 17 Australian Opens, only men's, only one was won by somebody outside the top three, which is by uh, Stan Warinka. Mm. And otherwise, since 2006, right, it's been either Federer or Nadal or Djokovic. I mean, that's crazy, you know, that that level of uh, domination and consistency over the years. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I mean, it was a privilege. But this is fun also because you have so many young players jousting with each other to try and get on top to sort of emphasize their ambition and their skills on a tour. And that's fun. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. And now back to our chat with ST Assistant Sports Editor Rohit Brishnath covering the Australian Open on the ground in Melbourne. Talking about young players, do you foresee in the women's game there being a, a big three or big four type thing, you know, like we had with uh, men's tennis, you know, with obviously Iga and Coco Golf, you mentioned, uh, Leila Fernandez, Emma Raducanu. Obviously, they've shown flashes of, of what they can do in the last couple of years. Again, consistency is, is another thing altogether, but they have the talent. Uh, do you see them? And, and they are all about the same age. So, you know, that's that's the, the really interesting thing. Do you see them sort of all being there over the next 15, 20 years? I think they're going to be there. Uh, at what level they're going to be? I mean, somebody like, uh, you know, Emma Radakanu, you know, who plays, uh, I think, golf today, actually, as we're, we're, as we're talking, she's probably, they're going to come on court soon. I think that, you know, she won the US Open, perhaps almost a little bit ahead of her time. Sometimes, you know, you just have a great fortnight and you win, but your body is not yet ready and you're, you don't have enough strength yet and you don't have the tactics and you don't have the uh, you don't have the game yet to win week in, week out. And, you know, she's had injury issues. And so, so there are lots of things. I think players also have to be lucky. You know, you've got to find the right coach. You've got to hope that, you know, your body holds out. One thing that people don't realize sometimes, I think, is how physically demanding tennis is. I mean, it's a very difficult sport. The speed at which they're moving, the speed at which they're hitting, the fact that they're playing week after week is incredible grind. And tennis is hard. I mean, you have to hit the ball hard. The ball itself is a heavy thing. You know, it's not like badminton. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking down on badminton players, but it's physically yeah, yeah. a harder racket game because the, the, the size of the court is also, you know, the amount of area that you're covering. And you're not even covering just the... Nowadays, the way they're playing, they're 
what, 10 feet behind the baseline and they're running four feet, you know, outside the sideline. So the whole, actually, the expanded. They, they've yeah. expanded the court here. Yeah. So it, it's amazing. So I think that, you know, trying to replicate what happened with the men, I don't think that's going to happen for a very long time, that you're going to have three players of that level who rewrite the whole history of a sport. Difficult. Possible? Yes, difficult. But well, You've been to Melbourne quite a number of times uh, over the years. What makes the Australian Open special to you? You know, Saz, uh, I went there for the first time in 1990 and I don't know if you were born there. I, wa- I was three years old. <laughs> okay, you were three years old. Okay. And I was a young writer, you know, uh, I was uh, living in Calcutta then and I went there. It was fantastic. I always look at it as a sunshine open, you know. I always found... Wimbledon, you know, of course, has got all its history and, you know, uh, and tradition. I always found Wimbledon, but a little bit stiff. I found, but of course, beautiful. And the French, Paris, very stylish. I've never been to the U.S. Open. But there was there's certain freshness to the Australian Open. Incredibly friendly, very laid back. Uh, everybody sitting there having a cold beer, pulling their shirts off in the sun, just, you know, just enjoying very knowledgeable crowd. I mean, the thing about Australia people shouldn't forget is that day in the 1950s and 60s, you know, uh, when Lever and Rosewall and uh, John Newcomb and whatnot produced, uh, Lou Holt produced the greatest generation of tennis players from one country, no question about it, you know. And those guys still come and uh, watch the matches, which is amazing. So they have a history of tennis. They know tennis. They love tennis. So you can see it in the relationship with the players. The Australian Open was always the lesser slam. It was the least important slam. And then it began to change when they moved to this new precinct in uh, Melbourne Park and new courts and the Rod Laver Arena. And they work very hard. So if you ask the players, actually, it's their favorite slam because I think they're treated the best at the Australian Open. And I think it's grown in prestige. You know, it's become greater and greater. So the prize is now, for me, you know, everybody looks at Wimbledon as the greatest prize. But, you know, I think for the rest of the three, I think this is equal. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lovely, lovely slam. Okay, so how does the Australian Open set up the year of uh, tennis ahead? So the place of the Australian Open, I think, in tennis has shifted so considerably. Uh, it's quite amazing. You know, uh, beyond Borg, you know, he won six French uh, titles. He won five Wimbledon titles consecutively. And he came to the Australian Open only once. That's how much the Australian Open mattered at, at one point of time. I think when they settled on the date for... January in, with the Australian Open, and that's when uh, the the tournament year began for Grand Slams. I think it took on a huge importance, and especially I think in this era of Federer and uh, Nadal and Djokovic, you know, for three of them, they're all trying to get the momentum early on in the year. You know, so battle was joined early in the year to see who is going to take off fast and find the momentum and get an edge over the other guys. And um, I think I might have mentioned a stat that in 17 years, only Stan Wawrinka is the only one apart from them, you know, to win in this place. And I think winning the Australian Open also, therefore, gave one of these three a chance to win the entire Grand Slam, which is, of course, winning all four slams in a calendar year. So, yeah, it took on a huge importance. Was that the inspiration behind, you know, the recent piece you wrote about Pre-season in tennis ahead of the Australian Open, uh, like whether you do well in January depends on what you do in December. Yeah, you know, there's a great story, much repeated story about Agassi who won a lot of Australian Opens later in his career when he was a different player. And he there was this mountain in, uh, I don't know if it was Magic Mountain, what it was called in Las Vegas, where he used to run up this mountain. 
and I know this hill, whatever road it was, and uh, he used to do it on Christmas Day. He would do it till he vomited. And, you know, so Agassi, when he came to the Australian Open, was always incredibly fit, right? And I think one of the things is I'm always interested in the preseason to see, you know, who's doing what work. Andy Murray used to go to Miami and, you know, work out, and, you know, he was incredibly fit. And I think people, you tweak your game a little bit in the preseason. You might add a shot. You know, I always felt Nadal, you know, as a player through the years, just got better and better because he was always adding an element to his uh, game. Federer used to invite players to come and practice with him in Dubai. And so there are always these little things going on. Players will change their rackets, uh, might go to a bigger-headed racket. They might get a new coach. Strings. Strings. Yeah. So I think, you know, then this preseason is a fascinating place because mm. when you're on the tour, once it starts and you're just galloping then all the way down, uh, you know, till November, right? There's no time for you to take four to six weeks off and basically train. You don't. So, you know, you have to put minds in your legs. You know, you have to, you know, you, you have to get yourself strong and ready. Who knows what's going to happen for the rest of the year. But it's your real training period that you get. All right, Rohit. So, we wish you a safe uh, and enjoyable trip to Melbourne. And we look forward to your wonderfully written columns from the Australian Open. Thanks, Rohit. Uh, thanks, Saz. Nice to be here. Read Rohit Brichnauf's columns and our Australian Open coverage on straightstimes.com. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.